Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Oh, yeah, across the world on the Internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitch. Wherever you find uh, wherever you find fantastic entertainment and enlightenment. Also broadcasting live across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. It is the Michael Duke Show. Good morning, my friends. Boy, I've got the deep voice this morning. It's <clears throat> this is the this is the morning to go out and do all those movie trailers in a world where yes, 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 yes. Good morning, uh, my friends, and thanks for coming in and joining us. It is the Michael Duke Show. Uh, we have got, uh, it's a Tuesday edition, so you know what that means. Tuesday means we are going to get down into the weeds and do the deep dive with uh, the uh, with the uh, weekly top three. Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets founder and director, Brad Keithley, will be joining us in a few moments, and we'll be... Uh, We'll be looking at some stuff this morning, including the uh, oil and gas numbers uh, and some of the predictions and that budget surplus, which appears to be draining away drain in a world where your money drains away um <clears throat> so that's going to be that's going to be one of the things we're going to talk about we're also going to talk about uh, Brad's reaction to the primary and uh, some of the numbers that you're seeing so far uh and we're going to uh uh and we're <laughs> sorry and we're going to eventually talk about um some good news on oil as well with pika and some of the things that are happening there. So that is uh, kind of our take here for hour one. We'll get into that after we do just a few headlines, talk to some of the stuff that's going on there. Then in hour two, we will take some phone calls from you because why not? I mean, why why not? Would It was, just wouldn't be a complete day without a little bit of phone call action from some of the listeners just to see where we're at. And then we'll pick it up with Chris Story, the man from Homer, who will come in and help us with our weekly life coaching lesson. Yep, he's going to come in and give us a little bit of a PMA boost and uh, just, you know, get something to, I don't know, it's, look, this is for me. Uh, this is not for you as listeners. This is for me as the host. I need this. I need that weekly little uplift. Because, you know, at some point during the week, I just feel like I've just been beat to hell and I need a little bit of a I need a little bit of positivity boost. So that's what we're going to do with Chris. And then we may finish up with some phone calls or something else or whatever. Uh, Don't forget, as always, you can join us, as I mentioned earlier, out on the Internet uh, during the show. On Facebook, uh, YouTube, or Twitch, we have uh, there are uh, chat rooms attached to that, and I can see all the chats, and we could talk with each other. And during the break and commercial break, we can talk about things, and uh, and questions can be asked. 
And so a little bit of interactivity. I mean, you can do it the old-fashioned way. You can do it just on the radio like, you know, we've always done. Um, but feel free to uh, feel free to go on out there. And the podcast, by the way, we hit a bit of a milestone uh, on the podcast. Um, I was just looking at uh, some of the metrics and some of the numbers and uh, surprised even myself. If you'd like to, uh, you know, because somebody – I made a comment the other day about um, – uh, about how Firearms Friday to me seemed like anecdotally it was one of the uh, um, one of the most popular segments, but according to the metrics of what I was watching for the number of people who were because I can see how many people are online watching the broadcast online, and the numbers would go down, and I thought, well, that's kind of weird because everybody tells me, and this, so I got an email later on from somebody who said, hey, I I don't ever watch the show live. I listen to the show on the podcast or I watch it on the stream later on. And so don't <clears throat> don't take those numbers. And he goes, Firearms Friday is probably my favorite segment after the Tuesday deep dive for the weekly top three. Uh, and so we've got quite a few podcast listeners out there. Uh, in fact, um, in the last 12 months, we have had more than a quarter of a million downloads. Um a quarter of a million. I mean, I know I'm shocked myself. Quarter of a million downloads <clears throat> for the last 12 months. And uh, that's that's a lot. <laughs> Let's just say that. Uh, so a quarter of a million plays, I guess I should say. Um, so anyway, uh, we'll get into that later on in the program if we have time. But uh, I just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, all right. So headlines. Let's uh, let's get started. Let's get started to see what you guys want to, uh, uh, what you guys might be interested in, what we might want to talk about. Um, there's a couple things that I uh, that caught my attention this morning, uh, going back uh, over this last week on some of the stories we may have missed that may be relevant. Uh, one of the stories <clears throat> that I thought was interesting, and this story came out um, about a week ago. Uh, just after the election, uh, just, I guess, under a week ago, but because the election was today, right? A week ago today. So it would have been just under a week ago uh, after the election. Sean McGuire over at the Alaska, <clears throat> excuse me, the Anchorage Daily News, uh, threw out this story talking about Alaskan moderates seeing success in the legislative primary races. And um, first and foremost, again, let me throw this disclaimer out there about the primary, because the primary... We, we've been calling it a poll. Uh, we've been calling it a poll for a variety of reasons, basically because everybody, especially in the House and Senate races for the state legislature, uh, you know, they're with the exception of one race, everybody's going to the general. You know, one race is going to have is going to lose one person because the race for up there in the Esther area in Fairbanks has got five people running for the seat and you can only have the top four. Uh, in the general, right? So, but every other seat has got four or less contenders. And so we've been calling it a poll, but really it's, it's not even that. I mean, it's barely a snapshot of what's going on. Now, Brad, I know wants to talk about this this morning. He wants to talk about the primary results. So I don't want to get too deep into the weeds on this, but I, I do want to say that I had to laugh out loud uh, during one segment of this uh, of this article, when it's talking about the various people who how the the balance of power in Alaska may be shifting because you know just a couple of years ago it looked like the the conservatives were oh they were ripping through the you know because 
Two years ago, six incumbent Republican state legislators lost their primary races against largely more conservative opponents. And we're talking about Chuck Kopp and Jennifer Johnson and Kathy Geisel and John Coghill, right? I mean, they <clears throat> they all got basically ousted because, and I don't know if it was necessarily because they were more conservative. I don't know if it's a conservative moderate thing as it is more of a pro-PFD, anti-PFD thing. I mean, really, in all honesty. But this was the, this was the, I, I just had to read this to you guys, especially you folks out in Kodiak, because as much as I love you, I don't understand you at all. I mean, how, anyway, here's what, here's what it said. Two years ago, six incumbent Republican state legislators lost their primary races against largely more conservative opponents and some moderates like Kodiak Senator Gary Stevens, who narrowly made it through the general. This time around, Stevens is up by 30 points against his nearest challenger in a three-way race of Republican candidates. Stevens puts that success down to campaigning hard. And he said it probably was an advantage to compete in Alaska's new primary system, which is open to candidates and voters of any part. He's been campaigning hard. How many people in Homer have seen Gary Stevens? I mean, if I I talk to people while I, I was just down there three weeks ago, two and a half, three weeks ago, and I talked to several people uh, about this kind of whole thing. And how many people down there have seen Gary Stevens in Homer? Boy, he's campaigning hard. That's where he got that 30 point lead. <laughs> oh man i just he put it down to campaigning hard that's what it was my the i mean yeah okay um i just i i had to i had to read that to you the other article that caught my attention was an article by sean mcguire uh also out of the adn uh which is talking about our budget surplus uh, remember back in March how we had all this money? Well, it's not quite as much as you thought it was. It's not quite as much as you thought. Um, as the oil prices continue to fall, surpluses continue to shrink. And legislators could potentially face a deficit if the price of oil averages less than $87 per barrel over the current fiscal year, which, again, ends on June 30th. So we are three months into the current fiscal year, right? July, August, well, no, we're only two months. We got 10 months to go, 10 months to go in the current fiscal year. The Alaska North Slope price has been hovering around $100 a barrel since the beginning of August, but that has been a pretty significant drop because in June it reached a high of $128 a barrel. Now, the State Department of Revenue released an updated forecast on Tuesday projecting that the state will collect $715 million less in oil revenue uh, over the current fiscal year than it had expected back in March. Now, I know Brad's going to talk about this, so I don't want to get too far in the weeds on this, but this is a significant drop in what's going on. Um, the, uh, when governor Dunleavy signed the budget in late June, he referred to a recent revenue forecast that showed the state was set to deposit $1.6 billion into the constitutional budget reserve. Uh, since then the oil revenue forecast is down by $1.4 billion. That's a big difference. That is a big difference. Uh, interestingly enough, 
The legislature typically writes language into the budget to draw from the CBR if there's an unexpected revenue shortfall. But the CBR takes a three-quarters vote of the legislatures to agree to spend from that account. And they didn't have the votes to do that. So instead, they wrote the SBR in as the backstop. That only requires a simple majority. Here's the thing. If they need a big uh, a boost, uh, if they have an unexpected, if they have a deficit and they've got to spend it, they can't. Because in June, the governor also vetoed $300 million that was set to be transferred into the SBR. Instead, he designated that that revenue would go into the CBR, which he rightfully noted that the state is required to repay. I mean, we've, we've spent $16 billion out of the CBR. It's supposed to have a balance of 10. It has a balance of over, I think it's like one and a half now. That's all that's left in there. And so he said that that money to be set from the SB, to the CBR instead of the statutory budget reserve. And so that's going to create some issues. I can tell you right now, they're going to have to come back and they're going to have to fight some stuff out. It's going to be, oh, it's going to be interesting. I can't wait to see what happens. Um, It should be, it should be fun. Yep. All right, we're up against the break. we got to come back with more. We're going to have Brad Keithley with us. Don't forget again to join us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash Michael Duke Show. Uh, I'd also could use your help. Let me exhort you. If you have a YouTube account and uh, you feel like helping out the show, would you go out to YouTube and search up my name, youtube.com slash user slash The Michael Duke Show, or just put in my name in the chat or in the uh, search bar, and would you uh, do me a favor and subscribe and ring the bell on YouTube? That would help me if you want to help. If you hate me, then don't do that, okay? Don't don't do that. I don't need that. I don't want to mess your day up. We're going to be back. Brad Keithley's our guest, The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Our light, our guide, and our trusted friend. Well, hi. <clears throat> Howdy. How are you guys this morning? Yes, yes, yes. Um, let me go back up here to see. I see I see. Brad is hanging out in the green room there. He's all ready to go. He's looking very tropical today. I don't know. It's just like, man, look at him. He's all, he's all, I don't know. It's a little gloomy and cloudy and dark out here today. Somebody said they had clear skies, and I'm like, I don't know where you are. Daniel says the clouds look to be burning off. It's going to be a good day. Well, I don't know where you're at, Daniel, because it is cloudy as hell today. Um, Is this Deep Voice Tuesday? Yes, it is. Some mornings are better than others when it comes to that. Uh, Daniel also says, I like the Tuesday and Friday shows. Chris is a high point of my week as well. Stevens is a waste of breath. Ow. Ow. Um... They show it time and time and time again. Okay. I'm scrolling through here. YouTube done ages ago, said Charlie. Well, thank you. For those of you that, uh, for those of you that, uh, uh, that have done uh, the YouTube in the past, I wasn't talking to you. I was ta- if you've already liked and subscribed, I, I mean, I, I have no problem with that. That's not my, 
I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to all the people that haven't liked and subscribed. Soldatna is beautiful today. <clears throat> Finally, no rain. Um, yeah, there's some big, big rain clouds on the thing. I mean, this has like been the wettest. I keep looking for Noah and like all the animals two by two. That's what it's been like this whole, this whole August has been this way. Uh, pitch black outside on the Bering Sea. Um, all right. Let's, um, let's see here. Did I get it? Was that it? YouTube done ages ago. Taped your comment. All comments went away. Okay. All right. <clears throat> Looks like it might break up on the hook. Uh, that's up on the fish hook. Maybe. Maybe. Um, all right. Let's uh, let's bring Brad on board because we can. We'll see what Brad has to say this morning. Hey, my friend. How are uh, how are how are you doing? Michael, I'm doing great today. How about you? Oh, I'm doing okay. Let me turn you down a little bit because my <laughs> ear my ear bones are bleeding here. Um, loud voice Tuesday. Yeah, huh? no, it is. Today it's low and loud. Low and loud. Um, all right. So, boy, you're looking awful tropical there today, my friend. You're just like, uh, you feeling the Hawaiian vibe? or it, it, It's more clean shirt days. What, what shirt oh. was clean? <laughs> I love those kind of shirts, but every time I wear a shirt like that, I ever you know, somebody in the chat room makes some kind of snarky comment about, uh, "Boy, you're what do you, you think you're in Hawaii or something?" No, I just I like this shirt. I like to feel colorful. I like I myself am wearing a six o'clock club member shirt, so that's uh, you know that's what everybody needs around here, a little bit of six o'clock club action. A quarter of a million podcasts. That's impressive. Yeah. Oh, I should show you guys that because I actually pulled this up um, yesterday. I just happened to be looking through some stuff and it threw me a pop up that said, hey, have you seen your stats lately? And I'm like, no, I haven't. And they're like, would you like to see them? I'm like, sure, I would. And then they're like, here they are. And I was like, holy crap. Um, let me see here. Uh, this was a uh, um, is this it right here? No. No, not that one. How about this one? No. How about, my God, how many pictures can I have here? Uh, it's right here. Um, well, I can't, for some reason, I can't show it to you. Oh, you know what I can do? Let me just do this. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, I was, I was pleasantly surprised. And what really surprised me was that it was, um, uh, is that it was, uh, the that the most listened to podcasts were from the were from the Anchorage area, and uh, uh oh, did I break something? No, okay, everything locked up for a second. Um, this is the uh, this here's the stats for those of you who are looking at it here. Let me uh, let me solo myself here so that Brad is out of the way for just a second. Two hundred and eighty two thousand plays in the last twelve months. Uh, and that's up 278% over the previous 12 months. That's a lot. That's, that's, I'm kind of excited about that. We'll have to see what that does here in the long run. All right. Uh, Brad is going to be joining us here in just a second. We're going to kick things off. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Here we go.
All right, welcome back to the program. It is the Michael Duke Show. Uh, we are talking about uh, Tuesday. It is the Tuesday, the deep dive. Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets joins us, and we're ready to get into the weekly top three, which includes today the results of the primary, the new oil uh, announcements, and the surplus and the deficit that we were just talking about, which uh, I have to madly cackle about when I realize that the governor foresaw some of this stuff and moved some of that money into the CBR. Uh, but Brad joins us this morning to discuss this and more. Good morning, my friend. How are you doing? Michael, I'm doing great today. How about you? You know, it's a I'm it's I'm above ground. That's a good day. Any day above ground is a good day. Um, so uh, so let's get started. Um, you, you and I really haven't talked much since uh, since the primary, and um, you know uh, we've been talking about it as a uh, you know kind of a bellwether, kind of a poll more than anything else. But it's not even really that. But it is kind of a snapshot of kind of where people are at. I don't want to ascribe too much to it, especially in the state legislature uh, legislative races. Uh, but I want you to give us your full rundown from top to bottom, what you think uh, of uh, of everything that happened uh, last Tuesday. Well, I think I think it's important for this purpose. Money will flow to those races that show in the that showed in the primary that they're they're competitive. Uh, it will flow to uh, incumbents to protect them. It will flow to challengers uh, who have a chance at getting at incumbents. Uh, and I think I think it's important from a money and a support standpoint. I think it sort of will have the effect of thinning out the herd. Uh, to a degree on uh, on what people are doing. So, um, yeah, it's not, I mean, you don't declare winners and losers off of off of uh, off of this vote. Um, but you you do begin to see trends or you do begin to see possibilities maybe that uh, that, that you hadn't seen before or confirms possibilities you hadn't seen before. In the governor's race, I want to focus on the state races today. In the governor's race, uh, I think it's good news. Uh, Dunleavy finished uh, uh, far out in front. Less and and uh, and uh, Walker uh, uh, essentially tied for uh, for second place. Um, and Charlie Pierce, which we have talked about a lot on the show over the weeks running up to the election, uh, Charlie Pierce finished fourth, which I thought was a was a is a very good thing. Uh, right, right. When you start when you start considering when we get into ranked choice, uh, second choice ballots. Uh, second choice votes on the on on Charlie Pierce, I think, are going to be critical when we get down to the final final election. And I and there's nothing in the primary that changed my mind uh, about that. I think Dunleavy is going to be dependent on those second choice ballots uh, from Charlie Pierce when we when we get into the final. I don't think he's I don't think he's positioned to to win a clear fifty uh, percent on first ballot. So it's going to take second ballot, and I think Charlie's Charlie's a good candidate. I would say, in addition to that, I was I was. Uh, pleasantly surprised how well Charlie did. Ten percent of the vote so far. Uh, more votes to come in, certainly, uh, but ten percent of the votes so far. That's a third of uh, of Walker. It's a third of Guerra. Um, that for a guy who you know comes off the Kenai Peninsula with not a whole lot of statewide uh, recognition. So I I'm I'm pleased uh, by the by the governor's race. I think money will continue to flow. Uh, to Dunleavy, um, and I think there's going to be some money coming to Charlie. 
uh, as a result of his showing uh, in the campaign. Isn't that, isn't that a bit of a David and Goliath thing, though, when you talk about money? I mean, Dunleavy is, I mean, we were talking about into the hundreds of thousands, close to a million bucks. And Charlie, I think the last reporting that I saw on him was that he was like sixty or $70,000. I mean, this is a David and Goliath race. It is, but it but it's 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 enough to keep what what I think I'm thinking about in this situation is enough to keep Charlie going, uh, to keep getting the message out, uh, to uh, to to put some additional signs up, to get some broader uh, uh, media maybe beyond uh, beyond just the Kenai Peninsula. So it's not it's not going to overtake Dunleavy. It's not even going to overtake Walker uh, in terms of in terms of money out there. But it's going to keep Charlie going, and I think uh, I think that's. I, I think, frankly, that's the advantage of the Dunleavy campaign to keep Charlie going uh, strong, um, and and I think it's to the advantage of Charlie to, or to to the issues that you and I talk about on this show to keep Charlie going strong. So, I, I expect some money, not I mean, not millions and millions of dollars, but I expect some money to to kick to Charlie as a as a result of of his showing. So that's the good news. The the bad news, uh, I think, is the Senate. And the results in the Senate. I mean, we we've talked a lot about on the show about the need to to get at the incumbents incumbents uh, uh, to to you know hopefully have some insurgent candidates uh, uh, replace the incumbents like Roger Holland did with uh, Kathy Geisel and like uh, Bob uh, Rob Myers did with uh, uh, with John Coghill um, in the in the Senate and and that's you know sort of what we what we what we've hoped for. It's the reverse. Um, Click Bishop um, has a big lead. Again, it's the primary. Again, right, it's not, right, you know, right. we're not talking about the final votes. But, uh, but Click Bishop has a big lead uh, in, uh, in his race against his challenger. I think, surprisingly, Gary Stevens has a big lead uh, in, in the race against his challenger. And again, it's not that, I'm not suggesting it's the final vote, but I am suggesting that when people are looking where to put money um, uh, behind behind candidates, uh, it's going to be tough to, to, to make a case for, uh, to make a case for the challengers to click into, and to Gary as a Because people want to back a winner. I mean, when you've got a yeah. significant advantage, like a 20 or 30 point lead, you're much more likely to receive those monies. If it's a tight race, then it may be a toss up as to who gets the money. But it's a, if it's an obvious leader, then the money is more likely to flow to the person who is likely to win because people want to be part of a, you know, they want to, they want to back a winner. Well, yeah, and they want they want that influence. They want that they want the ability to to get their calls answered when uh, when the election's over. So that's why they're looking for for winners. Good luck with click. Um, good luck with click yeah. on that. From what I understand, I'm sorry. I said good luck with click on that. From what I understand, <laughs> yeah. Well, and Stevens, I mean, Stevens is is tough to get hey, a hold he, of. Too, he but. campaigned hard, Brad. That's what he said. He, he campaigned hard. I that's, mean, that's what I heard. That's that's what I heard you say. Yeah, uh-huh. I'm, I'm not quite not quite sure what Gary's definition of campaign. You keep hard using is, that word. You say. Keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Uh, I'm sorry. Go I, ahead. I think another disappointing one to me was the was the Merrick McCarty race. Uh, I had hoped that Ken was going to be a lot closer to Kelly Merrick uh, in the Eagle River district uh, than uh, than than the numbers are looking like right now. Um, that district is odd. I mean, that was Anna McKinnon's district, plus or minus. That was Anna McKinnon's district, and then it went to Laura Reinbold. So it went from moderate R to to conservative R. Um, 
And, you know, Anna didn't run again, I think, because of concern about Laura's challenge in the primary. Now it looks like it's flipping back to very moderate art. Looks like it's flipping back toward the toward the McKinnon side. So our, I don't. Yeah, I, 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 I need to dig into the numbers more in that race. But I got to say, I was disappointed uh, about the. Uh, well, about I, the outcome of that you race. know, I wonder how much again, um, you know, this is a primary and special interests uh, uh, generally show up very well in a primary. There's a huge amount of uh, there's a huge amount of union support, obviously, for Merrick. Um, and they're a motivated group of special interests. So, well, I mean, I thought she may do well. You're, but you're right. It was very surprising to me. And McCarty is, you know, I mean, he's he's I've had him on the show one time and the response was, well, I don't really like to be on the on the what well, you got to be. I mean, this is part of it. You got to go out there and get it done. So um, I'm hoping that there can be some changes there because I, you know, she's censured by her own party in that district. She really made some people angry. I don't know if it's just because people were apathetic or if the special interests ruled the day. Well, it shows it shows at least at, at, at a minimum, it shows that McCarty has a lot more work to do. I mean, yes, this isn't these aren't the final numbers. Yes, there may be, you know, uh, certainly additional people that come out in the general. But McCarty has a lot to work, a, a lot of work to do. You can't you can't spin those numbers anyway, other than he has a lot of work to do. And and he likely has work to do in, in terms of fundraising to the extent fundraising is important in that district. He likely has work to do in terms of shoe leather to get out in the district. Uh, and he uh, likely has uh, uh, work to do in terms of publicity. So, you know, if he doesn't like to come on the show, that's uh, that's not that's not a good sign. Um, and then we have the two big disappointments, I think, on the Senate side, uh, Shower and Roger Holland. I know, again, we're not talking about final results. Again, we're talking about only, you know, primary. We're talking about people who, you know, showed up for a primary, didn't show up for the final. Uh, but you would have, I would have hoped for, you know, clip, click Bishop, Gary Stevens type numbers against their insurgents uh, uh, so showing up in the, in the shower race against uh, Doug Massey and showing up in the Holland race against, uh, against Kathy Giesel. I was hoping for big numbers that, uh, that showed those weren't, uh, weren't going to be competitive races. So the money stayed out of those races. So, you know, the incumbents uh, uh, in those races continue to have uh, continue to have uh, uh, a, a sort of a glide path to victory. I think what, what we see now is money's going to show up in those races. Uh, it's going to show up because Massey had a good showing and because uh, uh, Giesel had a good showing. I think we're going to see money show up in those races in support of the uh, challengers. Yeah. And hopefully money will show up in support of the money and effort and, and, and support uh, indications of support will show up in support of the, uh, the uh, 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 incumbents as well, but rather than rather than you know channeling money now and channeling effort to the challengers to to, to click and to Gary Stevens, that money and that effort is going to need to go to support uh, uh, Shower and uh, and Holland, right? And uh, and and continue pushing them. So it's um, I think the Senate, the governor's race is good. I think the Senate is just a very bad. Uh, from the standpoint of the PFD, from the standpoint of uh, fiscal conservatism, I think this, the Senate uh, results are, are are not good and uh, and and almost to the point of being bad. 
Uh, how about the House races? Uh, we, uh, we're we're going to take a little longer on this than I think we anticipated, but what about the House races? Because I think we saw some positivity coming in there. But again, if we take the House back and are able to form a conservative majority in the House and we lose the Senate to some kind of bipartisan, we're, we're, right, we're right back into the gridlock that we were before. So w- what's your take on the House? I think the House was okay. Uh, uh, Kathy Hensley's uh, uh, showing against Andy Josephson, I think, is a is a strong point. Uh, uh, Tom McKay's uh, showing against Denny Wells. Uh, Forrest Wolf's uh, showing ag- against Donna Mears. I think those are all positives. I don't know if they're. I don't know if if that taking the House back translates into the positive PFD position that that you and I uh, talk about on the show. Uh, I think it may be more a middle of the road Republican. I mean, you got Will Staff up in up in Fairbanks to replace uh, Steve Thompson. Looks on track to replace Steve Thompson, but that's not much of an improvement from a, from a from a PFD standpoint. Right. So that taking the House back for the Republicans looks possible, but I'm not sure it's a strong take it back and 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 get the PFD protected uh, uh, outcome that that we're seeing there yet. Final thoughts here on the overall primary. Again, just a preliminary, just a snapshot, just a poll, nothing set in stone, but your final thoughts on uh, on uh, on the, on the uh, primary as a whole. A lot of work to do on the Senate. Uh, uh, the, the focus, I think, governor's race is in good shape, plus or minus. Charlie's in good shape. It's good to see him uh, in the final four, uh, but a lot of work to do on the Senate, and I think that's where the uh, – for my focus, and I think that's where the focus of people who are certainly concerned about the PFD uh, needs to be uh, in the coming days. All right, Brad, you want to give us a, a tease for number two, which is, I know, the good news on oil for PICA and more. Give us an idea there. Well, there's some great news on uh, great news on uh, Alaska oil uh, coming out uh, the last week, uh, both in terms of the near term and I think in terms of of the longer term, and uh, and I I I want to I want to milk that for all it's worth uh, because we don't get a lot of good news sometimes. No, but I, and I really want to get into number three, so we're going to have to boogie today. But we're going to uh, take a quick break, and when we get back to it, we will continue. Brad Keithley is our guest, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. We'll return in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Back with more right after this. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. All right, we're in the break right now with Brad Keithley. Um, <clears throat> you know, we had shower on last week, Brad, and um, after the uh, the day after the election, and he gave us some interesting analysis. You know, part of it, if you look at how his district is drawn, his district is drawn. First of all, I was shocked. He was my senator. I didn't even know that in the redistricting. I hadn't even seen that they had reached down on KGB, Kanikus Bay Road, and scooped up a bunch of people out of there. Um, I didn't even realize it until I got to the polls. That's how, I mean, odd it was. And I think maybe a lot of people were hit by that. And Massey is very well known out here in this neck of the woods. This is this is Massey country out here, apparently. And so uh, I think that there was a, a lot of that going on there um, because Mike has historically 
historically been very popular in his district. So I'm 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 interested to see what your thoughts are on how the redistricting affected a lot of that. And you know, then Randy Rudrick's name was thrown around a lot as some of the redistricting things and stuff like that. So what what is your thoughts on that component of it? Well, I'm sure redistricting does affect it, and I'm sure it, it is a a big a bigger challenge for for Mike as a result of redistricting. Uh, but, but it's the reality, right? I mean, it is what it is. And, and now that, now that you know that redistricting does have that effect, now you know that it brings, uh, massive voters, uh, into the, into the district, uh, you got to respond to that. And, and, and I think, I don't think I'm not, I'm not, you know, saying that, that shower's done or that, uh, Holland's done and, and, you know, we, we need to go on to other things. I think what these these races show is that they're in good position, but they've got to work it. Uh, they, they are they are in a competitive position. They're not in a you know in a click bishop. I don't even have to worry about my opponent much anymore. Uh, uh, position. Uh, they're in a very competitive position, and I think you know, yes, redistricting is, has has put Mike at risk. Now he needs to dig in, and now his supporters need to dig in. And 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 respond to that increased competitiveness and 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 work out work out work out a victory. Same thing with Roger Holland. Now that he knows that that Giesel isn't you know isn't isn't automatically off the ballot, isn't automatically you know a no vote for a lot of people. That she has the potential to come back. He needs to dig in and he needs to work it. Uh, and he needs to work it hard. He needs to raise raise funds to be able to uh, to compete in that district. And frankly. I think the governor has a role here. I think the governor needs to weigh in, use some of that political capital that that you know he's got as a result of his contributions, as a result of his vote. He needs to weigh in and say, and he and he needs to say, look, I need a legislature I can work with, and that legislature is not going to include Kathy Giesel. That legislature doesn't include Doug Massey. I need a legislature that has Roger Holland, has Mike Shower. Um, and to the extent that that you know the analysis is that Heath, Heath Smith still has a chance against Gary Stevens, a legislature that includes Heath Smith, I think I think the governor needs to weigh in and tell voters that obviously support him what it takes, what legislators he needs uh, to be successful. That's something this governor has not done um, to this point, and I think that's been a failing of the governor. You don't. You've got it's not enough just to be governor. You've got to have a legislature that's supportive of you and and to have a legislative that support legislature well, that's supportive <clears throat> of you. You got, you got to dig it and try to build it. Let's face it. This governor has not even Brad. This governor has not even run. I mean, he's it's it's a stealth campaign. He hasn't done anything. He's got uh, all I see is some web banner ads and some other things. I don't see anything else. He's he uh, apparently just assumes he's going to just breeze into it and it's going to be fine. I don't think he feels like he needs to do anything at this point. That's my that's my impression of it. Well, then you got a question about why the hell is he running? I mean, what, what, what's the outlook for the next four years? He could tell us a lot. He could tell us a lot if he dug in and got behind some of these candidates that will make a difference uh, in the legislature. Now that we know what races are competitive now, now that we know what what incumbents or challenges or challengers are in position potentially to win, he could tell us a lot by, by digging in and, and getting behind those candidates. Maybe he won't do it, but you know, then then what we got, what we got for the next four years is just sort of mush, right? Right. I mean, we have a legislature that's that's gone in an entirely different direction. The governor's going in his direction, 
And, and we just have another four years of mush. We sort just sort of get by for the next four years. Well, and let's face it, it's not even just that. It's a it's a legislature that is actively opposed to the governor at every step, even if it's a good step, even if it's something that they may philosophically agree with. They may just, the antipathy is just so great that they may just, you know, gridlock the whole thing to begin with. Um, all right, we're coming back on it here. We've got to jump back into it. Brad Keith Lee is our guest, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Please make sure that you like and follow the show page if you're watching on youtube and i see a lot of folks up there on youtube this morning i appreciate you guys uh, coming in um please make sure that you uh, hit subscribe and ring the bell hit subscribe ring the bell if you're on facebook you can do that as well you don't have to stay on youtube but if you're on facebook if you'd squirt over to youtube real quick subscribe and ring the bell then you can jump right back over to facebook i just need to get up to that thousand mark so here we go the michael duke show common sense liberty-based free thinking radio like and share like and share here we here we go Welcome back to the problem. Welcome back to the issue. Well, welcome back. It's a problem for sure. Welcome back to the show. We're talking about the problems of the state. That's what I was trying to get to. Uh, thank goodness. Welcome to the problem. Uh, we have the answer. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, our guest. Weekly top three. We're on to the peak of thing. And the good news for the state of Alaska, Brad, hit us with it. So the, 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 the two owners of Pika, uh, Santos, uh, an Australian company, and Repsol, a Spanish company, have sanctioned uh, Pika, have, have, have approved uh, the final investment decision to go forward uh, with, with the first phase uh, of the Pika project. Pika was originally a, a, a big, massive uh, project that, uh, that uh, when oil search was, was in charge of it, uh, was, was trying to do in one bite. Uh, they realized the capital wasn't going to be there, that the, that the demand, uh, it, the capital market uh, uh, fulfillment of, of their demand for money wasn't going to be there. So they, they broke it down into pieces. Um, and, and Santos and uh, uh, Repsol have sanctioned, uh, uh, gone to FID on the first piece of it. That piece is big. It's an uh, investment of something around the neighborhood of $2.6 billion dollars. They're talking about 2,500 uh, jobs uh, uh, during the uh, during the development phase of it. Uh, it uh, results in 80,000 barrels a day, projected to result in 80,000 barrels a day of additional production production uh, flowing uh, by 2026. All of that is extremely good news for Alaska: the jobs, the additional production. But here is what I think the most important thing is. Uh, the most important thing is somebody's investing in Alaska. Somebody other than ConocoPhillips, somebody other than, a, than an incumbent, somebody new is investing in Alaska oil production on the North Slope. I think that's a big message, an important message. It, it's, even, it's made even more important by the fact that Oil Search and Santos had been looking, uh, had, for, had been looking for co-investors. They've been looking to sell down their share uh, sell a portion of it to, to somebody else, 15% of their share uh, to, uh, to somebody else to mitigate the risk. 
they haven't they haven't entered into an agreement. They've said they've had a lot of people interested, but they haven't entered into an agreement to sell. But they're nevertheless going ahead. They're nevertheless going ahead on their own bottom, on their own financial capability to uh, uh, to make this development decision. They may sell down later, but but they're going ahead right now. I think that sends a powerful message uh, out there to the to the industry that Alaska is not dead. Alaska is a is a place to uh, continue to to look for additional supplies. It's a place to develop additional supplies, um, and I think coming in advance of what I hope will be the same, the FID decision, final investment decision for Willow, once the BLM uh, acts on, uh, on on the supplemental environmental impact statement, uh, I think that will send a powerful message that Alaska is still alive and Alaska is moving forward. I got to admit, I didn't, I had, had become extremely concerned about whether PICA was going to make, or about whether oil search Santos, I'll get there someday, whether Santos was going to make this decision. Uh, there were a lot of signs indicating the sell down, uh, the delay um, in the in the FID. Um, there were a lot of indications that that raised concerns in my mind. I think I think this decision is uh, is just a huge step forward in terms of maintaining Alaska's uh, profile in the oil industry, and I'm. And I'm extremely pleased, uh, extremely pleased to see it. Especially in light of all the wokeism that we're seeing, uh, putting pressure against investments and and financial institutions and banks and and every other kind of player out there about keeping Alaska pristine. This is good news in that uh, in that aspect as well. And and these are two uh, sort of mid size, mid major. I mean, the oil industry uses a lot of terms, but these are these are not the uh, you know, the powerful seven or the powerful five. Th- this, these are sort of two strong companies um, that easily could have made the decision to go someplace else, easily could have been influenced to go someplace else. I mean, they're still dependent on yep. capital markets for the funding. So I, I just think it's a, I think it sends a very powerful message. Well, that's good news for number two. Let's move on to number three, which is this story by Sean McGuire out of the ADN talking about how the budget sur- surplus is shrinking. Uh, initially, $128 a barrel back in June, now down to 100 uh, heading downwards towards 80 89 And uh, that sur- surplus we talked about could be gone. What's your take on it? I, I, there was a, Sean did an article in the ADN. Larry personally did an article in the Alaska Journal of Commerce, both along the same lines, both building from the uh, Department of Revenue's uh, latest projection. Here's my problem. The Department of Revenue is using uh, Brent prices, the forward Brent curve, just Brent itself, uh, as uh, in order to project prices. ANS has been running three to four bucks, two to three to four bucks ahead of Brent, on top of Brent, consistently since the Russian invasion. And there's the Russian invasion of, of, of the Ukraine and, and the and the and the restriction on Russian volumes as a right, result right. of that. Um, and ANS continues to run ahead of Brent. I think I think DOR is missing the boat by not including the 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 ANS premium in its forward look. And as a result, these sorts of doom and gloom articles, uh, I think, overstate the case by by a significant amount because they're basing it on DOR, who's basing its forecast on Brent. I do when I do my daily analysis of, of forward-looking oil prices. I include the ANS premium uh, in uh, in 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 those numbers. Uh, I include them in my revenue numbers. I include them in my projections. 
And when you look at those numbers, we're down. We're down from the 101 uh, that, uh, that the budget is based on, but we're not down huge amounts. I think the last thing, the last Saturday analysis I did was we were down 2% on revenues uh, from, where, uh, from where we were projected uh, to be uh, uh, in, in the budget. So these articles, I think, as well as DOR, I think are just way overstating the doom and gloom case. I think, and coming from me, I mean, that's a big deal. I mean, right. coming from me, I, th- I think I your think the Mr. is better than what they're paying. Yeah, you're Mr. Doom and Gloom at that point, right? I mean, so what? what's the reasoning then? I mean, if if this is the problem uh, and it's not as bad as, as it, they're making it look out to be, is this, uh, you know, what? There's got to be a reason. What, what's the reason well, for this kind of? Well, ANS is always has always bounced around Brent. And I think DOR's perspective is that it's conservative. It's safe to continue to just say it's going to it's going to even out uh, at the Brent price. But I think the dynamics, the market. Elwood Bremer did a great article on this in the Fairbanks News Miner a few months ago. I think the dynamics in the oil market have changed as a result of the Russian invasion. You can see that on the West Coast. Russia used to be a not immaterial part of the West Coast mix. Now it's not there at all. And so the West Coast refineries are having to go out and get additional barrels uh, from someplace else. And, and, I, and I think the dynamics of the market are shifting in a way that's, that's positive for ANS price. I just, DOR is being, to me, is being super conservative by, st- by continuing to, to stick to the Brent price uh, in their forward look. I think that's leading to unnecessarily gloomish uh, uh, revenue projections, and I think that then translates into into Sean McGuire into Larry Persley articles because they're just picking up on uh, they're just picking up on on what DOR is saying. I, I we we need we need to account for the ANS premium that's coming out of the Russian invasion. DOR is not doing it yet. And what is what uh, what do you uh, make of this discussion about um, drawing from the uh, CBR, but now from the SBR, but now back to the CBR because the SBR was defunded? What uh, why include that? What 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 is the point you think there in that regard? Well, I think I think it's a you know fear factor. It's it's they're trying to you know stir up the fear that that uh, ultimately it sort of translates into the governor's race, right? We want a governor who's going to be responsive to you know to 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 spending and will find ways to fund that spending uh, as opposed to Governor Dunleavy. Now, I, I, I will say that, that it concerns me because the, 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 the place they take money out of, the, ta- the place the legislature takes money out of and the governor can't control it when the legislature is in trouble from a revenue standpoint is the PFD. Right. So there, there, is, a, there is a way in which you know, the governor's decision to defund the SBR Put that money in the CBR and force a CBR vote. Frankly, comes back and haunts the C, the, the PFD. Uh, but I but I I don't think we're at that point of doom and gloom yet. I think that that we're seeing oil price forecasts that that don't reflect the market for ANS. Uh, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, is our guest. We're talking about the weekly top three. Um, Brad, final thoughts here as we wrap down. Two minutes left uh, on everything we've seen: uh, the 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 uh, primary, the pika, the uh, the uh, price of oil. Give us your final thoughts here. I think I think there is a I think there is a, a if you were just sitting here and just sort of plopped into this moment. I think I think there's a reason to be to be positive um, about Alaska and about Alaska's uh, uh, situation. Not overly, you know, 
hilarious about it, but but I think there's a reason to be positive. The Santos decision is a good sign for Alaska. The fact that that voters uh, put Dunleavy first and Charlie uh, Charlie Pierce, sort of a guy coming out of uh, with, with very low name name recognition, fourth. I think that's that's a positive. Um, the fact that I think uh, ANS is 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 has has this premium and continues to demonstrate this premium uh, in terms of what it means for the budget. I think that's a positive. But we need we need to keep those positives flowing. And and the one thing, as I said early, the one thing that really concerns me is the Senate. If we if we lose the Senate, if the Senate goes to a coalition, which if 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 these election results held in the final, that's where the Senate would go. It would go to a coalition. Uh, if the Senate goes to a coalition, I think we can very easily go back into a doom and gloom scenario, particularly for the PFD. So there are a lot of positives, a lot of reason to feel good right now, but we've got to translate that into support for people like Shower and Roger Holland and others to keep the Senate from slip from from slipping backwards and sending us back into a into a doom and gloom scenario. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Brad, thanks for coming on board and joining us today. We appreciate you uh, being part of it. Michael, as always, thanks for having me. Folks, we're out of time for this hour. we got hour two dead ahead. If you got to go, be kind, love one another, live well. If you're sticking with us, hour two, we're going to take some calls up next. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at these races, and I mean, there were some severe disappointments. I mean, Kathy Geisel coming back um, at the level at which she did, that was just, um, I mean, that was shocking to me. But it does tell us that, you know, this is where Roger Holland now needs to light the afterburner and get into it and get it done. Mike Shower, a little bit explainable based on some of the redistricting and other things. So he's going to have to focus hard on his race, which is unfortunate because he was going to focus on some other things like uh, Con Con and, uh, and, and helping support people like Roger and things like that. Um, so, I mean, this is going to be a real, this is going to be a real goat rope when it's all said and done. Yeah. And and I think, Michael, to go back to the theme we were talking about at the last break, I think the governor has to step in. I mean, I, you and I have a, have have expressed disappointment in the governor over over the years, over the last four years in some of the decisions he's making and some of the steps he hasn't uh, taken. I think I think, you know, he's he's explained it as, you know, preserving his political capital and, and maintaining his political capital. Great. All right. Now's the time to use it. You, you, you've got this lead over Guerra and, and Walker. Let's let's go through and, and, and let's talk about let's talk about the, the legislature you need in order to be a strong governor these next four years. Come on. Kathy Geisel is supporting Bill Walker for governor. There's nothing, nothing that's going to happen good out of Geisel winning that election. If the governor, I haven't, I haven't looked at the governor's numbers in that particular district, and that's something I should do. But, but if if the if 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 Dunleavy is going to win this election, he needs to be using he really win the election in terms of not only winning himself, but getting a legislature that will that will work with him toward the objectives that he's outlined. If he's going to achieve that, he needs that legislature, and he needs to start talking about. Kathy Geisel being Bill Walker's candidate for governor, Doug Massey being the union's candidate uh, uh, for uh, uh, for the Senate. He needs to get out there and he needs to invest himself uh, in some of these races. I, 
we, we or else, or else, as I say, all the good that's going on, Dunleavy finishing first, Charlie finishing fourth, the Pika, the the oil, the the Repsol and the and the Santos decision on Pika oil prices, ANS oil prices staying up uh, as a result of the Russian. It, all of those good things are going to be sort of for naught if we get back to the legislature and we we and the Senate has gone into uh, has gone to a coalition because we know what that means. We know that means PFD cuts, and we know that that the legislature controls the PFD. The governor can't override the legislature's decision on the PFD. So if this governor is really a pro PFD governor, he needs to get in these in these legislative elections, and he needs to support. Pro, pro PFD candidates. Otherwise, he's, it's, it's just talk on his part. He's not doing the things he needs to do to be able to uh, to follow through on uh, protecting the PFD. This is a governor that does not like confrontation. This is a governor that does not like to go out there, it seems to me, this is my opinion, and you know get his hands dirty and, and, and get out there and meet and greet. We saw that pullback over the last 18 months of the governorship where he just didn't want to interact with the people. He didn't want to engage. Uh, I offered his office every opportunity to come on the program and have a free-form uh, idea session. It seemed like every time he wanted to come on, it was nine minutes, and he had a very specific thing that he wanted to talk about, and that was it, and then we moved on. It was you know, he just doesn't want to engage the community. And then on top of that, we talked about, again, the redistricting with Shower. Uh, Kevin McCabe just pointed out in the chat room, the new district that Giesel is running in, they don't even know her. Rob, Roger Holland has knocked on many doors and many do not know who Giesel is. Maybe that's to her advantage. It's the same thing we're seeing out in the uh, KGB area where people just don't know who Mike Shower is. Um, so that could play a huge part in this as well. Yeah, exactly right. But but it's got but we know where we got to work now, right? We we know we know what sort of, you know, the effort that's been put in to this point. We know what that produces. We know we know what it produced in the primary. So, we now need to get in there. And and in terms of Dunleavy doesn't want doesn't want to engage. Walker's hitting him in the mouth every day. Kathy Geisel's hitting him in the mouth every day. Doug Massey, although he's not saying it, Doug Massey is running as an establishment R, a business R, an anti a cut to PFDR, uh, uh, and and is being funded by by those sources. They're hitting Dunleavy in the mouth every day. It's it's one thing about not wanting to engage, but it's another thing when your when your opponents are just taking body shots at you, and and you don't do anything in response. You let your allies like Mike Shower and and Roger Holland, you let your allies slowly twist in the wind. That's not what you want a governor to do. You want a governor to get in the mix and and to support his allies so his so he has allies in the legislature when it's time to support them. And I think um, I, I think there's going to be a new level of disappointment in Dunleavy if he doesn't use the political capital that he's built up to help support his his allies uh, uh, that you know that the that the elections identified have challenging races. Right. Well, and, and of course, when you start looking at some of the candidates, somebody just said, Massey wants the AK Union pensions back. I hear we can't afford that. Yes, we're starting to see more and more of the, uh, you know, this discussion on, you know, defined benefits and tier one and all this other kind of stuff, which from several of these candidates, including Giesel and Massey and more. And that's just, again, it just shows more government programs is the direction that they want to go. More government spend. And more government programs from these people 
means more PFD cuts. That's, I mean, they're looking at the PFD as, as a slush fund to, uh, to, to, to fund those programs. So if you let those people, if you let those people win, if you, if you, if this election goes down that road and you get a coalition in the Senate, either body can effectively stop the PFD. If you let, if you get a coalition in the Senate, that's the direction we're going. Yeah. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Thank you, my friends. Good to talk with you. Michael, as always, thanks for having me. We'll talk with you again next week. Folks, we're out of time. we got more coming up. The Michael Duke Show continues. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like and share. Like and follow. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Across the world, on the internet, on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitch, at MichaelDukeShow.com as well, where you can find the audios live stream and the uh, and the video streams and everything else. And, of course, broadcasting live across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station, and or FM translator. It is the Michael Duke Show. Thank you for coming in and joining us. Hour two of the big radio broadcast today. And if you uh, missed it, we just finished up with Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, who uh, is uh, our weekly guest on the show today. And if you missed it, um, you can uh, go back and see it. Uh, you can watch it on YouTube or Facebook. You can go back and listen to it on the podcast, which is available on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, CastBox, Stitcher, and, of course, Spotify. Uh, my favorite one for listening to podcasts is Spotify. You can find us on all those places, and uh, folks uh, are doing that. Uh, we were just, uh, just I was just crowing a little bit about the numbers here earlier today, uh, looking at over a quarter of a million da- uh, plays here in the last uh, 12 months. So people are listening, and it's a good way to listen. I, in fact, I got a couple emails from people that said, uh, hey, don't, uh, I was complaining about the Firearms Friday numbers dropping down on the live, and uh, people are like, hey, I listened to it on the replay lots of people listen if i if i am late putting a podcast up if something happens if there's a technical issue or something and i don't get a podcast up right after the show i get a bunch of emails like hey where's the podcast hey where's the podcast so people are listening and that's a that's a good thing and i appreciate you doing that if you are listening to it on the replay we uh we appreciate that the dukes on demand kind of thing um all right hour two of the program today and we are continuing just finished with brad as i said coming up in a few moments we're going to be talking with chris story who is uh of course our uh, our guru from homer um and uh it's going to be a uh, it's going to be a fantastic uh 
Uh, it's going to be a fantastic uh, take on uh, on everything that's going on here. So we appreciate him coming on, and it, it's the one thing, it's the one day a week that I really look for. I need that. I need that positivity. I, that's what I say. I just need my positivity on what's going on. I need that. Um, some of the news that's going on today, we talked earlier about the budget um, deficit maybe increasing. Uh, Brad kind of walked us through that a little bit and how some of that is a little bit of the chicken little, the sky is falling. Uh, yesterday, we talked a little bit about um, employees and the problems with the school district and everything else. The school district is still um, forecasting what they call rough days ahead. Uh, Alaska's News Source has the story out on their website right now talking about how it's still going to be tough, still going to be big, it's still going to be as they're waiting to get it. And yes, as somebody brought up in the chat room yesterday, the busing issue was severe enough that the state of Alaska sent a request to the Air National Guard, uh, excuse me, the Alaska National Guard, asking for military members to assist in the shortage. Uh, but the Department of Law said, nope. The Alaska statute does not allow for the Alaska National Guard activation for this purpose. It is not, you know, poor planning on your part does not constitute an emergency on our part, essentially, is what they said. Um, but they, uh, the, 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 <laughs> this is part of the problem. I mean, if you've seen these pictures, it's amazing, uh, the kind of the gridlock that you see around these schools and the fact that the school district was not thinking far enough ahead on this. Uh, the school district in both Anchorage and in the Matsu, both of them suffering from the same kind of problems and uh, catastrophic delays and confusion when it comes to school busing, which all of which I can say is, again, just another reason why I homeschooled. I caught this headline, too, and I didn't get a chance to get into the story, but uh, the in Anchorage, fifth graders are now being asked to choose their gender identity when they get their little welcome packet for school, for the school year to start. Um, they, they, they include this, what pronouns do you prefer? And, uh, and at the bottom, it's like, we won't tell your, I will keep all this information private. I will not tell your parents that, uh, you identify as they, them or whatever it is. I, again, every time I see something like this in schools, I am just reminded again about why and how happy I am that we decided to homeschool our children. I mean, with any challenge, there's obviously challenges with any kind of decision like that, but even with the challenges of homeschooling, which are not as bad as most people think, uh, I am glad that we did that rather than have to go through that whole shlemiel over there at um, <clears throat> at the uh, that's going on in the school districts right now. I mean that that's this some insanity, just insanity, uh, with all this gender identity stuff and politics and everything in our education system. Uh, Reason Magazine, JD Tuchili had an interesting article uh, on Reason here uh, yesterday or day before, talking about trying to get the uh, trying to get the politics out of education that if people want to and the problem is is that people want to leave um the brick and mortar school and in some cases alaska's pretty good about it but in many cases um the the you know the they don't want the public education establishment does not want those students to leave um, and J.D. Tuchili basically says, you know, Americans in increasingly see this political polarization overtaking the public education and that school choice would help families escape these classroom battles by basically leaving the battleground. 
uh, they wouldn't do it. And I'm thinking about bringing J.D. Chichilli on to talk about this uh, because I think it is a I mean, I think it's a damn good uh, I think it's a damn good idea, uh, quite honestly. Uh, so anyway, I've just posted that article up in the chat room for folks that want to uh, to take a look at it and talk about it and everything else. Big news for those of you who uh, are into, uh, you know, the uh, uh, natural, you know, big natural events and uh, everything else. Uh, uh which, of course, is uh, one of the huge volcanoes uh, that ha- is uh, on the Western Aleutians um, and was, you know, has really raised people's eyebrows over the course of years watching the activity there. Uh, uh went ahead and erupted the other day. The Alaska Volcano Observatory report that a sh- short-lived explosion occurred on Sunday afternoon about 1.47 p.m., They've got webcams set up near the volcano, shows that a plume of ash ejected high into the sky, although the satellite imagery showed no visible ash plume, so the ash stayed below the 20,000 foot above sea level, which is important due to the, of course, uh, ash in the aviation corridors. Due to the eruption, the aviation color code and volcano alert level was being raised to orange slash watch. Uh, small eruptions can occur always and, uh, and all the time when this happens, that ash deposits can be expected within the vicinity. Uh, if the ash clouds are under 10,000 feet, um, of course, back in 1873, there was an enormous eruption at Semisopochnoi with at least four others, which may have occurred in the previous hundred years. Uh, so it's always an exciting day in Alaska, no matter where you go, you're going to see something that is, uh, uh, you're going to see something that is uh, ca- crazy. And then finally, uh, yesterday, again, we were talking about the bus driver situation and the whole thing and about, um, you know, the the fact that we're having record um, employment issues, you know, that the unemployment is down, but the job rates, it, it, the, they have these unfilled positions, is huge number of unfilled positions. And we started talking about how this mind shift, uh, this mind uh, change of mind had come about amongst many uh, employees. And uh, there was an article, which is interesting, uh, from Lynn Curry at the ADN talking about the workplace and about this new phenomenon that they're called, they're calling quiet quitting that uh, employers used to be able to count on employees to go above and beyond to rise fast in their organizations. But now they're facing this quiet quitting, which is a trend which has emerged uh, since July from apparently a viral TikTok video. It became a phenomenon noted in Wikipedia, and they're talking about it in Forbes and the Wall Street Journal. It's more than employees setting boundaries or intentionally putting a hard stop to their workday or week so that they can create a work-life balance. Quiet quitting is basically um, where workers simply slack their way through their work week, doing the bare minimum needed to keep their jobs, and which in turn, of course, overloads co-workers and frustrates supervisors and drains productivity from the employers overall. Um, According to a survey from this month in ResumeBuilder.com, 21% of surveyed employees admit to quiet quitting, stating they do only the bare minimum. 5% 5% admit to doing even less than they're paid to do. Eight in 10 quiet quitters report that they're quote unquote burned out. 
and 46% do not want to uh, don't want to do more work than they're compensated to do or to compromise their work life balance. Um the interesting stat for me was that one in three who have a reduced effort have cut back the hours they spent working by more than half. Now, yesterday, remember, we talked about people going through COVID and and having this epiphany of, you know, uh, do I really want to do this? And well, apparently there's actually a a, um, a, a a term for that. And I didn't even realize it. It's called COVID clarity. Uh, some describe quiet quitting as a coping mechanism that employees intentionally choose to reduce internalized stress. Others see it as a result uh, from employees gaining COVID clarity concerning life priorities while working from home during the pandemic. They note that large numbers of employees become unwilling to sacrifice anything to get ahead with their employer, particularly after other employers desperate to fill vacancies wooed them with flexibility, higher wages, and greater benefits if they jump ship. Um, And the quiet quitters really don't even worry about being fired uh, because, again, there is such a need in the workforce right now that they don't uh, they don't feel like they have to worry about it. Now, I've always been kind of a go the extra mile kind of guy, but I, I've definitely seen this in my workplace. I've definitely seen it in people that I've worked with, uh, both, uh, you know, in my own organization and outside where people are just like they're not as, I guess I would say, gung ho as they used to be. Um, but again, for every person that is, you know, quietly quitting, I have worked with at least three or four more who are still willing to go the extra mile. So I think that that, I think that that, uh, that spirit is still there, but I think people are, uh, are thinking about it more. I think they are thinking about that work-life balance a lot more. And, um, and I think employers need to be cognizant of that, um, as they look at it, yeah, they, they have to be cognizant of it. Otherwise, um, this could be a real this could be a real thing. This could be a real conundrum that they face in the future where they've got a whole section of their workforce that are quietly quitting. But I w- was mostly interested in the fact that they actually have a term for what we were describing yesterday, the COVID clarity, life priorities during the pandemic, that they that work-life balance and uh, and everything else. The COVID clarity, I think, is a real thing and something that we should all be paying attention to. Anyway, that's the uh, that is the uh, my thoughts for today on uh, all that stuff. We got more coming up. Uh, we're gonna take a take a quick break, and when we come back, Chris Story will be our guest, the man from Homer. We'll talk with him and see what he has to say, and we will be back. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay. Uh, we're back, uh, we're back in, uh, in our, in the saddle here talking about the things that, uh, you want to talk about. Let me get back over to the screen here so I can see what you guys uh, are talking about. Um, we, we're going to have another in, in, see that on a sky map. I seen that on a sky map podcast said Jonathan. Uh, are you talking about the quiet quitting? Is that what you're talking about? 
Um, Chris says, this is not new. Labor markets have been squirrely for the last five to ten years. But you do have to agree, Chris, uh, that straight out of uh, that, that it right out of the pandemic, that it has been exacerbated. Right. I mean, we know that. Right. That this is. Yes. Markets have been squirrely. We did see things like that in, you know, the, he mentioned straight out of office space. I mean, yeah, the, we, there's been a joke about that. Some people have always just kind of gone along to get along. But it really. I think that kind of attitude really jumped up when, um, you know, when we're, you know, post pandemic, right? That's, that's what I think you're seeing more than anything else. Daniel says, cue the boomers who never slacked off. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I I guess I'm amazed at how many boomers are now getting blamed for a lot of the things that are going on there. And then I saw somebody the other day talking about Gen X as well, that Gen X is to blame because they uh, uh, because they're retiring and they don't care. And they I mean, everybody's got to blame somebody else. I think people just again, the covid clarity for many people. I think that was an eye opener for a lot of folks. And uh, I, anyway, I, I just that's that's my it's my take here. Um, let me go back up here to see what you guys have been talking about here. Um, heard my first ad yesterday regarding ballot measure one. They are trying to scare us by saying the convention can take away our guns and everything else. Yeah. And again, all you have to do is look at who are the main contributors to that campaign. The Defend Our Constitution No on One, the 1630 Fund, the NEA, the IBEW, they're terrified that you're going to go in there and you're going to uh, you're going to change the way that government spends money and uh, they want all that money for what they've got going on. I mean, that's all you have to do, again, is just look at the paid for line. Uh, you know, just and you could use this for anything. Look at the candidates. Who's supporting the candidates? Who's supporting these ideas? Uh, Not surprising. Not surprising. Paul also says, in regards to Mike Dunleavy, since it's his last term, he may get a little more ballsy, at least we hope. Well, I mean, if past performance is indicative of future results, then the answer to that is probably no. But we can always hope. We can always, we can always hope. Um... Uh, did you know they are starting an hour later on Mondays all year, so staff has time to plan? Are you talking about the school districts, Jonathan? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, uh, I saw that. The school districts, they've got, uh, you know, what do they call it, team building or something going on, so that one day a week they will start school an hour later, which doesn't throw anybody's schedule off at all, right? Again, just, I mean, it's just, it's, yeah, that's. That is, uh, it's a hot mess. That whole thing is just a hot mess right now. A hundred percent for sure. All right. Um, let me see what else here. That's, that's it. Take the union power away, said uh, Terry. Well, I mean, the, the problem is, is that unions have, uh, you know, in, inculcated themselves and, and uh, you know, into into every aspect of what we're doing, they have a tremendous amount of power. You may want to take the union power away, but how does that, how, how, how you know, they're in the catbird seat in a lot of these situations. So good luck. Good luck doing that. 
Um, it's to train the teachers how to do this Monday thing is to train teachers how to do stats because they're cheating on kids test score. I don't know what you mean by that, Terry, but, uh, interesting. Uh, I mean, tell me more. Um, all right. Chris story should be joining us here in just a hot second. I don't know where he's at, but let's uh, get him on the phone. The Michael Duke show, common sense, liberty-based free thinking radio. All right. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense. Liberty-based. Free-thinking radio. It's like a it's like a beach party around here. Yeah, surf's up, baby. Uh, that is... Uh, I don't know where Chris Story is. He's, I just was. We were just chatting during the chatting during the uh, break there, and I realized that Chris hadn't called in, uh, and so now I'm looking to see if we can uh, get a hold of him and uh, make sure that he's going to. Uh, well, it should he should be. I was just looking to see if I had a text or something saying that he wasn't going to be on this morning. We may push Chris off to the final segment of the show this morning. We'll try one more time to get a hold of him and see what. Uh, see what he has to say and if we don't get a hold of him then we'll move on to your phone calls how about that we'll we'll fire up the old machine and see if we can get you guys on board this morning for uh for discussions and commentary uh don't forget uh you can also of course join us uh, over on facebook at facebook.com slash michael duke show um, and of course also on youtube and on twitch and in all the ways and places that you would love to be, uh, you, you'd love to check it out. Come on over and join us over there and uh, be part of the chat room, ask questions, discuss stuff, and everything else. Okay, uh, phone lines are open. Uh, Chris is not on board with us this morning, so we're going to peel back the uh, curtain here and uh, open up the phone lines. By the way, this hour brought to you by our friends over there at Satellite West. Satellite Technical Services, when it comes to communications, Satellite West are the people to talk to. Again, whether it's a satellite or cellular or VHF, UHF, uh, carrier pigeons, the whole deal. They basically have got uh, they've got the answers for everything that you need to know. So go over there and see them again at satellitewest.com and tell them thank you for sponsoring the program this morning. All four lines are open right now. If you would love to uh, be part of it, we'd love to have you uh, on board this morning. <clears throat> I am, uh, you know, we've been talking a lot the last week or so. Uh, we've touched on this several times about education, specifically because of the, you know, the the chaos that has come out of the school busing issue. 
And the more I thought about this, and I mean, I occasionally am driving around and I'm thinking about some of the issues and some of the stories and stuff that's going on. And what I found really interesting is that here we are in 2022, right? The 2022 school year, uh, which is really the first year post-COVID of a regular school i mean last year 2020 was a wash 2021 was kind of trying to get back into the groove and the schools were open and close and open and close and open and now we're in 2022 and this felt like this would be the first real school year uh where we would you know where we would be kind of be back to normal so to speak and i have to think about the planning aspect of this i mean the Folks who have been doing this for many years, I mean, they knew that they were changing uh, bus contracts uh, from, what was it, student one or whatever the first student, I guess, first student was the name of the previous bus contractor. And now all the school districts have have are now working with what this Durham school bus contract or Durham school. You, you would think as they were changing these things that they would pre-plan this to understand what they were going to need and what, and first of all, you'd think that the contractor would be held responsible for creating and maintaining and bringing enough people in, even if they had to fly people in from somebody else, from somewhere else, to, to take care of this. I mean, that's why the school district contracts with somebody else to deal with this, right? I mean, the school district doesn't own the school buses. They don't run the schedules. They don't do all that kind of stuff. And the school, it's just, it's just again, it reminds me of the old phrase. And this is when they, when we found out that they had been, there's been, been some discussion with the Alaska National Guard as to whether or not you could have guardsmen and guardswomen drive school buses to try and fix the problem. The, the old axiom that I remember from many years ago that, you know, uh, prior piss poor planning on your part does not constitute an emergency on my part. That's like the that's the dead nuts on. That is the that is the prime problem here. Is that we've got a school district that continues to consume a tremendous amount of wealth and treasure in the community through taxation that we are required to pay, that we're required to send our school kids to and some, you know, they're encouraged to, that anytime somebody talks about doing something differently, the education establishment backlashes on it. And yet when it's the parents who are the ones that are taking it in the tailpipe in some kind of problem, for example, now having to disrupt their day to drive and drop off their kids and do all that kind of stuff, they, you know, they, it's not our problem. School's like, yep. So sorry that you have to rearrange your whole day now and drop your kids off at school instead of having the school bus done, which we've done for the last 25 years, had schools, you know, the buses just come and get your kids and do it. Now you've got to rearrange your whole day. Or now they're doing this whole thing on Mondays in the school district down there in Anchorage, where on Mondays they're having some kind of team meeting or whatever. So school on Mondays starts an hour later than every other day of the week. Tell me that doesn't just throw a complete and total disruption into why couldn't you have the teachers meet at the end of the day, either the end of the day on Friday for the following week or at the end of the day on Monday after that? Why do you have to disrupt the entire thing so that now school starts an hour later and you've just thrown another wedge of complication into everybody's lives? It just doesn't seem to matter. But boy, you better not stop sending us money. Boy, you better not stop giving us what we need.
Because it's for the children, you know. It's for the children. And I just, I get so agitated for my friends who have got their kids in the school district who are telling me some of these issues of, you know, figuring out how to get the kids to school or the, the, the jumping around through hoops. And the poor family last week, um, um, my wife was pretty upset um, because it was announced on, you know, was posted on Facebook that somebody lost their kid after the first day of school last Tuesday in the Matsu. Because they're short of buses and they're not sure the kid, did he get in a bus? Did he not get on a bus? And I mean, for several hours, this kid was essentially missing and then they finally turned him up. But I mean, this is like our most precious cargo in the world. And they just, they just can't seem to get it right. On top of that, of course, the scholastic achievement is not where it's, you know, needed to be for many, many years. And it just reminds me that I'm so glad, as I said earlier in the program today, I'm so glad that I decided to homeschool my kids because that's just insanity. Insanity having to deal with all the stuff that they're dealing with right now. Um, it was, uh, it was, it was crazy. Um, <clears throat> well, I would love to, um, I would love to uh, hear from you guys and talk about this or anything else. Uh, 907-433-3150, 907-433-3150. If you'd like to sound off on any of the uh, conversation that we had today. Uh, Jennifer in the chat room said, I generally agree with you, but there's a nationwide shortage of workers in all areas. So to say this is anything but that is ridiculous. Everyone's short and bus drivers everywhere. Businesses are short on employees everywhere. Okay, Jennifer. I mean, I uh, agree that there is a nationwide shortage of workers in many, many places. That doesn't preclude the responsibility of making sure that you have something squared away for this situation uh, where you're supposed to be taking kids back and forth to school. I mean, I understand there's a shortage of workers, but you would do everything in your power, especially if you have a contract to fulfill. And I mean, the thing with Anchorage, I mean, let's just go back to the Anchorage school district thing. They only have enough bus drivers right now to run one-third of their students around. One-third. This has been a problem for longer than the two weeks that they've been announcing this. They've known about this the whole time. It is. It, I, I just, you know, yes, there is a worker shortage. But at the same time, you acknowledge that and you adapt. Right? You just don't say, well, there's a worker shortage, so everybody should just suck it up. Well, then you need to you need to sweeten the pot or find some way to attract more workers or do whatever. Uh, Tyler says, uh, my wife and I are homeschooling. It's going to be tough, but the school system is so dang broken right now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's been broken for a long time. I think people just, I think people got a real peek behind the curtain during the pandemic to see exactly how broken it was and how much of the fear mongering that was coming out of the education establishment vis-a-vis homeschooling, how much of that fear factor was just smoke and mirrors, that it wasn't as hard as they always said it was to homeschool your kids. 
Let's uh, go over to the phones and see what you guys have to say. 433-3150. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Morning. This is April from North Pole. Hello, April. What's on your mind? Well, I was just calling about the school, about the school bus, and and then what you were just talking about there. Uh, I, you know, I have some info about that, too. But I wanted to say that here in Fairbanks, um, just like the person in the chat room said, the, the bus company worked really hard. I mean, they started with like 21 and change for, for the wage. They're up to $27 an hour for the wage. And we're still getting very few applicants. They're offering a $5,000 sign-on bonus and um, $2,000 bonus for referrals. Um, our borough assembly is can, um, working on putting forward some, some uh, municipal money that might help to try to attract more drivers. But at this point, it's, I don't know if it's about the money because they're throwing everything they can at uh, attracting drivers and they're just still getting no applicants. What's your take on why you, I mean, you know, is it, is it the, is it a split schedule? Is it that people just don't want to work with the kids? Is it just, you know, people have got this COVID clarity where they've decided that uh, their life, they want to do something completely different. I mean, if it's not about the money, I mean, a $5,000 signing bonus and $27 an hour sounds pretty good to me. What, uh, what is the issue? Well, you know, I'm, I'm on the school board here and I spent the whole summer talking to young people just out around the community asking people, hey, why don't you sign up to be a bus driver? Just moms that I know, hey, you could run your route. They'll let you take your kid on the bus with you. Um, Why are you not doing it? And I think some of it really is what you said, that people just have prioritized and they realize through COVID that they could stay home and that they could have a more impact uh, with their time on their family instead of just money. And then there's uh, the older crowd who are often bus drivers, retirees, and they also just want to enjoy their retirement now, spend their time with their kids, just that COVID clarity. Um, and then there was a whole slew of younger people that I spoke to who they just don't want a drug test. Um, and to have the passenger endorse CDL, I mean, you you can't smoke weed and there's a whole slew of uh, sort of under 30 people who there they might work but they don't want to give up smoking weed it was kind of weird to me but i heard that from a lot of younger people that i talked to well because i think the younger generation they treat uh, i think they treat marijuana like many of the older generation gen gen x and boomers they treat it like uh, the weekend you know i have a cocktail at the end of the night kind of thing and uh, that's how the millennials i think are treating uh, marijuana consumption in a lot of ways they're not necessarily doing it at work but they're doing it at night and uh, and then it shows up in the drug test so yeah i can see as how that would be a problem as well um, but I do think the clarity, I think the COVID clarity is a real, I love that phrase, by the way, so I'm, I'm going to use it a lot now. Uh, but I think it really brightened people's eyes. Cause like you said, they either discovered that they could live without the second income, uh, or they could cut their lifestyles down or their, their lifestyles back a little bit and enjoy and have more fulfillment and spend more time and feel better about it. Um, I think that's also a huge part of what's going on. Yeah, well, and I just want to say that uh, Anchorage School District should have learned from Fairbanks. 
Last year, we ran every other week. So parents had to drive their kids to school every other week. And um, that was a, a bit of a nightmare. And I could not possibly imagine every third week or right. whatever they're doing there in Anchorage. And this year, what we did in Fairbanks was we just made the route more um, condensed. So kids had to walk farther to get to a bus. Right. But there was always going to be a bus every day. Right. So parents may have had to drive them, but not to the school, just to the bus stop or whatever, or they had to walk farther to the bus stop kind of thing. Right. Or their neighborhood could sort of carpool up. Right. Um, that, that seems to be what a lot of people on social media are sort of carpooling just to the bus stop instead of to school. And it allows you to leave, still leave for work early. That I think that's what the parents are getting at. I used to wonder... Uh, I, my kids have never ridden a school bus. I drive them every day. But um, I used to wonder, why are those parents just sitting at the corner? Why not drive another mile over to the school right. and drop your kid off? Right. Um, but uh, the school bus comes so much earlier than school starts. So they're able to leave for work a lot earlier. Right, right. Well, April, I appreciate the insight into that. And maybe maybe somebody out there, I don't know what the Anchorage and the Matsu school districts are offering as far as incentives. But if that's what Fairbanks was offering and they still weren't getting it, I mean, you know. But again, I I agree with you. I think think they should have have learned from what Fairbanks is going through. Uh, I mean, they should have already learned this and been prepared and been ready. And they should have been working on this a lot a lot sooner than they were. That's uh, my take on it. April, thank you so much for your call. We are coming up on the break. Holy cow, I got a whole slew of phone calls. Uh, But folks, if you hold on through the break, we're going to come right back to you and you guys will all be up. I've got four phone calls on hold right now. The Michael Duke Show continues. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We're going to continue with your phone calls right after this. Don't go anywhere. Is that? Common sense. Regularly heard on American radio. Michael Duke Show. All right, three lines on hold. Let's go over there real quick and see if we can get their names and where they're calling from, and we'll uh, get them in the queue for the return to radio. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Yeah. Hi, this is Derek. I'm calling from Fairbanks. All right, hey, Derek. Um, Derek, hold on. No, no, like hold, hold on. Hold on, Derek. Hold on. Hold oh, on. Yeah. Don't go anywhere. We're not on the sure. we're not on the radio. You're going to be first in the queue, so don't go anywhere. We're going to be right back as soon as we come back from commercial break. Uh, we're going to go to the next caller. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Morning, Michael. It's Bull Fairbanks. Hello, Bull from Fairbanks. Hold the line, my friend. You will be number two in the queue. Uh, we go back over here to number three. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Terry calling from Kodiak. All right, Terry from Kodiak. All right, Terry, hold the line. You will be number three um, when we return. So you guys don't go anywhere. We'll get to all three of you here. Um, all right. Uh, that is, wow, that's the full rundown. That's the full batch of people here. Let me go back over to the chat room to see what you guys have been talking about in the chat room. Um, uh, let's see. This is our first year. Mike Tyler said this is their first year of, um, uh, first year of homeschooling. Good, good, good for you, Tyler. Good for you. Um, Sandy says in response to Jennifer, um, 
about why there is a shortage of workers. She says, my younger daughter manages a medical clinic and oversees 30 employees. She's experiencing a shortage of workers. She has no idea what is going on. The government COVID, the government handouts from COVID have stopped. Where are these people getting money? She says a, a bunch of people just disappeared. And again, I think a lot of people reassessed their lives and trying to decide what they are, you know, what they're doing. Crystal says that it's a crappy schedule, that that's one of the reasons why they can't get bus drivers. I mean, it is a split schedule, right? It's two hours in the morning, I think, and two hours in the evening is that I think is kind of how it works out. Um, But if you are retired or you're only looking to work part time, uh, 27 bucks, you know, 27 bucks an hour, 25, 27 bucks an hour. That's, you know, a hundred bucks a day. That's nothing to sneeze at for a part-time job. And if they're offering a bonus, that's not bad. Um, but I think, uh, again, I think a lot of people that I knew, uh, who drove buses were people who were again, retired and maybe they are just going out now to enjoy their retirement. Um, the bus is just the tip of the iceberg. Who wants to work part-time in this economy says Tyler. Uh, yeah. I mean, well, that's the thing. And, it, you know, what I'm finding now is, especially now that my kids are out in the workforce, um, is that many of them, I mean, that they're that all the jobs are part time, that there are very few uh, full time jobs out there and that most of these kids are having to work two jobs just to be able to get enough income to equate to a full time job. Uh, that's it right there. Um Let's see. What does this say? $27 an hour, but they don't get 40 hours a week off work, plus all summer and every holiday with no pay. Yep. Um, let's see. Here in here in Fairbanks, we had a problem getting bus drivers before COVID. Never have enough bus drivers. Plus the bus monitors to ride the bus to keep the peace. Uh, I don't blame the cost on the teachers. You have to look at the administrative costs, says uh, Timothy. Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, the administrators are the ones that are ultimately responsible for all this. Uh, well, if they're going to homeschool, that takes one person out of the workforce, uh, says Sandy. Um, well, that's assuming that that person was working to begin with. Um, and yes, that's true. Uh, yesterday, Art from Delta called in and talked about, you know, because I was talking about how people could be single income families and still make it. And he's like, you know, look at the what's the trickle down on that? Less people in the workforce, less ma- less government revenue, less this, less that, less spending. Yes, I understand. Uh, but the question is, what is more important to you? The money or the experience or the raising of your kids? Uh, it's a pain to get a CDL nowadays, said David. Well, except for these places now, they're getting your CDL for you. They're paying for it. They're doing, I mean, I all the things that they're doing in Anchorage, they are... They want you. If you're if you're interested in driving a bus, they will get you the CDL. They will put you through the courses. They will do all that, and they will they they will take care of it. So it may be a pain, but they will take care of it. Um, schools making children and parents do more to get to school. They demand more money to pay them just to turn these children against their parents. What's your preferred pronoun? We won't tell your parents, and if the children tell the teachers they feel abused because your parents won't use your preferred pronouns, they get OCS and police sent to your... I mean, I haven't seen an exact example of that, but I I mean, why would you confuse my fifth grader by asking them their preferred pronoun? My, you know, 
a fifth grader wants to be an astronaut one day and president of the United States the other the next day, you're going to try and confuse them now by asking that, uh, you know, asking them to uh, to do that. Uh, Jim says super early wake up times for morning bus runs. Jim knows from experience. I know because Jim deals with this all the time. Uh, Jim, I'd love for you to call in and give us your thoughts on this. Uh, if you want to call in, I'd, I'd love to hear what you have to say. All right, three lines on hold now. We're going to come back to it. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Here we go. All right, welcome back to the program. We're continuing now. We got some lines on hold. We're going to start off up in the Fairbanks area with Derek. He wants to uh, sound off on this. Derek, what's on your mind? Yeah, hey, good morning. Thanks. Um, you know, my thought on this, I have a child in school too, by the way, and and uh, have to drive her this year, which is fine. But, you know, I've been thinking about this for a few years, and I, I, I was always upset that I see these absolute you know, stench-spewing dinosaurs driving all over the road in the morning. We have, you know, that that is the bus system. I mean, this thing is completely antiquated. We've been using the same deal for the last 50 years. And it seems like, you know, maybe we got to throw some technology at this. You know, they did that with taxis. We finally figured out Uber, right? We can, I've never seen a Fairbanks bus. I don't think I've ever seen one more than about half full, if even a third full. So let's let's get some technology at this. Let's get some parents or some apps, uh, you know, that could somehow consolidate what is actually needed, where it's needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could do some people, you know, people have to pass background checks for driving. But you know, I drive to work every day and back. I drive right by a high school. Not that I want some foul-mouthed kids in my car, but you know, I could pass a background. Maybe you, maybe you have some independence doing this um, so like an like an need a school bus like an uber like an uber carpool for yeah. for school kids or something yeah well i mean yeah at least i mean try it. Jeez, you know? hey i'm not i'm not saying no i'm saying that's a unique uh that would be a unique <laughs> thing to do where you know you log in <laughs> on the mornings and you take your you know you, here's my <laughs> route here's where i'm going and i can pick up kids along the way and you get paid a certain amount <laughs> per kid on the way and you're an independent contractor I'm not against it. I mean, find a need, fill a need. That's what's going on right now, right? Yeah. How many people have, you know, a Sienna van? My vehicle's not appropriate for it, maybe. But, you know, lots of people drive these Sienna vans, and why not try it? Why not do something different? Just try something. Uh, the, The diesel buses are just such an anachronism. And, you know, they're absolute, our company has several of them for tour guests, and they're just a maintenance nightmare. There's nothing about them that is 21st century period. I mean, they're just a dinosaur. So let's try something different. Well, in defense of the newer buses and things like that, their companies are always coming up, but they're always trying to burn cleaner and do stuff like that. And so, I mean, the newer Mm. buses, you know, they're, they're, they're better than they were for sure. But yeah, obviously not the most efficient if a bus is only half full. And I think what Amy or what April was saying earlier, where they're now consolidating the bus routes down to where there are fewer bus stops and you've got to go further to drop your kids off at the bus stop so that they pack the school buses that makes more sense but i like your idea i like your idea of an uber 
uh, for school carpool, you know, kind of thing. And maybe somebody makes their living that way. Maybe somebody gets a van, a 15 passenger van, and they say, okay, they log into the app and say, I'm ready to go. And they start picking up kids along the way and they plan their routes out and do all that. I'm, you know, why not? I mean, that is what, that is the spirit of entrepreneurship right there. Find a need, fill a need. Yep, cool. So, Thank you so much. Thanks, Derek. I appreciate you calling in. Bull is also up in Fairbanks. Good morning, Bull. What's on your mind? Uh, well, the last down this idea was, was, was pretty, pretty, pretty decent idea, but once you start getting into the, and uh, you being in business know this, once you get into the insurance nightmares, et cetera, et cetera, can you imagine the Charlie Fox shot that would be? Well, I mean, I would say that, again, Uber has a way of doing that, of insuring their drivers and doing stuff like that as independent contractors. I would say that there's already a system in place for that. It probably wouldn't be that difficult um, uh, to do the same kind of thing. I mean, it, it again, using the Uber or the Lyft model, that would make sense. You could still do that. Yeah, okay, at any rate, the reason I called, I'm curious. These buses, are they owned by, owned by and run by the school district, or are they subcontractors? They're subcontractors. The the company that owns them, Durham or First Student then or whatever. Why, then why is there not a clause in that contract where they are being fined just ridiculously for not supplying the service they contracted to supply? I mean, that would be my question. I would assume that if you couldn't provide what you had assigned for and what you'd contracted for, that you'd be in breach of contract and that you have to figure something out. Um, that obviously doesn't fix the problem, but it would be some kind of incentive for them to jump into it. I don't understand why there's not some kind of discussion on that. If you contract with somebody, you're assuming that they can fulfill that contract. And so I, I think that's a valid question. And one other point, this is something you can find out. I'm, I, I don't have the time where the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I knew a gentleman about 35 years ago. Now, this was a different state. But I have a notion that it might be the same situation up here. The area he was, he was in Pennsylvania, was in southeast Pennsylvania, Lancaster County to be specific. And, uh, he decided he was going to go into the school busing business. At the time, there were two companies, Schultz and Eschbach, that bus students for about five school districts in the area. And he went and he had everything arranged to take delivery on, I forget the exact number, 40-some buses by somewhere in the middle of July, and he bid for the school buses. Well, when it all came down, I ain't going to go into the whole story, but there was this, that, the other thing. When it came down to it, the school district looked at him and said, oh, well, we, we, you, we can't take this bid because you don't physically possess the buses to bus the students. And he had come in low bid. But that was the little glitch that they had to make sure that the people who were paying their ding to be the only people busing students didn't get out of the business. Right, right. I'm just curious whether something like that happens up here. I'll shut up and let somebody else talk. Have a good day, Michael. Appreciate it, Bull. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, that sounds to me like, uh, uh, again, a favoritism like you're talking about, kind of the corporate cronyism where I'm ready. I have the plan. I can, I'm going to be taking delivery of buses in June for a school start in August. 
Um, I'm ready to go. Here's my bid. I'm sorry, you don't have the buses in hand. So I have to commit multi millions of dollars for a contract that I don't even have yet. I mean, yeah, that uh, that's seems a little hanky to me, but uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, let's continue on over here. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Uh, it's Terry calling from Kodiak. Hello, Terry and Kodiak. What's on your mind? Uh, well, first, uh, good news. Um, heard that uh, Dominion lost its lawsuit against uh, Rudy Giuliani, the uh, Dominion voting uh, machine mogul. <laughs> Uh, and uh, I uh, guess I have to give the bad news next that uh, the mask mandates, even though the parents uh, have been surveyed and they said, the majority of them said they do not want the kids mask up, uh, school district's going to mask them up again anyway. And I thought it was pretty amazing because it was almost two years ago there was a a study on the kids' masks done by, uh, I believe it was uh, Tallahassee University, uh, and uh, showed that they were contaminated with uh, multiple kinds of pathogens. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, of course, uh, period, uh, I'm trying to pronounce that right, the, uh, the dentists, uh, they, they've also... Perry. said that uh, those masks are devastating for the kids' uh, gums and teeth. Uh, so it's just amazing to me that... Uh, well, I think some schools some schools are still mandating masks. Some schools aren't. Um, I think it's going to be on a case-by-case basis. I'm happy to see when they leave it up to the parents to decide. I think that's the, uh, I think that's the appropriate time. Uh, Terry, appreciate you uh, coming on board and joining us, but we are out of time for today. Tomorrow, Mike Shower, working on some other guests as well. Appreciate you coming on board, The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Be kind to one another. Love one another and live well. We will see you tomorrow. Have a great day. All right, my friends. Well, I appreciate you guys being part of it and coming on board with us today. Just an, whoops, I pushed the wrong button. Uh, just another beautiful day in paradise. We're ready to uh, ready to jump uh, jump on board tomorrow morning and continue this discussion or the propaganda, I guess, whichever, however you want to look at it. Education, entertainment, and enlightenment. It's what we try and do right here. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free thinking ready. You folks have a great day, okay? We'll see you tomorrow.
shed our terrestrial radio skin. And now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show. <laughs> 